Superhero Stuff You Should Know is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. Hey, this is Ben from Superhero Stuff You Should Know, and I have an important announcement for you guys. At the end of every single episode of Superhero Stuff You Should Know, you might hear a shout out to our fans, one of whom is Matt Herring, who was one of the original Superhouse fans. He's always given us his support, and now it's time that we support him. Uh, we've just recently found out that Matt has been diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer. And as a cancer survivor myself, I know personally that there's a lot of emotional and financial strain that comes into that. Uh, his wife, Kelly, has set up a GoFundMe account at gofundme.com slash f slash Matthew hyphen kicks hyphen cancer 039s hyphen butt. Uh, and hopefully you can help reduce the financial strain to that as well as some of the emotional strain that comes with that. Again, that's gofundme.com slash F slash Matthew dash kicks dash cancer 039S dash butt. Matt Herring was the first, I guess you could say, true Superhouse fan. We were Superhouse at that time. You know, the first fan of this podcast and what we do here and um, has always supported us, talked about us, and um, he's from a town close to where I'm from, and uh, so we share that as well, and just a huge superhero fan, and, you know, nerd like the rest of us, and now he's going through that, and uh, if you could donate just at least any amount of money to that link that Ben just said, that would be truly appreciated just hang in there matt you'll beat this thing soon <laughs> uh, edward edward it is me uh your big boss here uh mr luthor you need to open up this door right now mister or i'm going to be a very big fussy pants about it <laughs> riddle me this why do I have to do shit for you? I figured out the anti-life equation. You bend to my will. Oh, for goodness sakes, Edward. We can't do this every time. Just open up the door. Oh, all right. Now, what was this you were saying uh, about finding out the solution to the anti-life equation? <laughs> it's already done, my friend. I figured it out in 2.3 seconds. I know everything. My brain is starting to hurt. But I know exactly how much pee you drink a day. It is disturbing, to say the least. You just need to keep that information to yourself, mister. That is for me and you to know alone. So you figured out the anti-life equation. But how come you are not able to bend me to your will? Is it because I am, in fact, even smarter than you? Ha 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 ha! Perhaps the pee's gone to your brain too much. Maybe that's the kryptonite to this whole thing. One who drinks pee quite a bit is immune to the effects of the anti-life equation. All right, mister. It's time to shave off that scruffy-ass beard you have and put on those sequin tights you love so much. I think old Batty Man is on his way. <laughs> you think I don't know that, dummy? Actually, I'm already here. I've been listening to this entire conversation. <gasps> I just couldn't stand any more pee talk. First off, Edward, make sure you keep your eye on Lex. He has a tendency to escape, leaving a jar of pee behind. I already know exactly where he's going. Okay, good. Just keep your eye on him. In the meantime, let me get these handcuffs out. <laughs> I told you to keep that to yourself, Edward. Uh, how did Batman, how did you know that I leave jars of pee uh, whenever I escape? You kind of do that each time that we talk. Anyway, here are the handcuffs for both of you. Riddle me this, Batman. What's made of glass and full of gold and amber and has a smell so pungent you notice it even right now? Yep, and there's the jar of pee. 
Tell me, do you know Batfleck? You will, because today on our show, we're covering the secret backstory of Ben Affleck's Batman. I am, once again, your co-host, the man who knows too much about Batman, in the bat suit for probably the last time in a while, because it's going <laughs> to... We've covered the Ben Affleck Batman extensively, but joining me, as usual, is my co-host. It is me, everyone. Thank you again, Internet, and thank you again, Ben, for the tutelage we are about to receive. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, our, our guest host, <laughs> Zach Brown. Thanks for inviting me back, Ben. Uh, since we're talking about the most uh, badass Batman, I thought I would bring um, the second most badass Batman into the conversation so for the YouTube watchers they can see. Yes. Uh, so, you know, it's <laughs> okay. Mr. George Clooney. <laughs> I'm going to explain this. this. He's got Batman and Robin on VHS, everybody. <laughs> for those who are just listening in, yes. VHS was like... before DVD, kids, <laughs> by the way. Before Laserdisc. Nothing says badass like bobblehead oh. Batman with rubber nipples. That's right. Yeah. He was bold. <laughs> Those nipples are bold. <laughs> when you're fighting with your freeze, it gets really cold. My head's so. a... I'm sorry. My head bobbles like that. That was another good one, <laughs> by the way. Yes. <laughs> I chuckled. <laughs> so today we'll be diving into the Ben Affleck Batman. Not just the man himself in terms of behind-the-scenes stories of Ben Affleck in the role, but also a breakdown of the Batfleck off-screen career that we did not see because he's been Batman for 20 years before we saw a frame of him in Batman vs. Superman. So what happened during that time? It's actually been kind of mapped out thanks to Zack Snyder, so we'll get, dive into that. But first I want to sort of ask you guys, where does Batfleck rank among the different Batmans to you off the top of your head? Obviously, he's more badass than George Clooney. Zach, right? So, <laughs> well, I don't know. Let's see what he says. <laughs> so, all right. So, for ranking Batman, for me personally, we're just talking yeah, about live action. Uh, it's whatever you're ranking, like in terms of like where all, where all does he across all go? media. Wow. I mean, okay. if it's across all me, if it's across all media, I mean, I think we all know who's who's at god tier. For that, Adam I don't West. know. <laughs> Adam West and Kevin Conroy are just god tier, and as everyone else is below, as far as I'm concerned. So I think that um, let me think. It's probably going to be still Michael Keaton is my top one, really? then Ke then Kevin Conroy, and then it's going to be like a tie between um, Val Kilmer and Christian Bale, which. I know that we all don't like his outfit, but I still do like his his role as Batman and Bruce Wayne. Then Bat Bale, yeah, okay. Then Batfleck, uh, and he he should he really kind of rises up higher, I guess, if I just think about his look and his suit mm -hmm. quite a bit. Then Batfleck. Then we got you know like Adam West, George Clooney, and then the kid on Gotham, and then the <laughs> the black and white cereals. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, we're doing like a full list. I'm not gonna do a full well, list. I had to, to think. Full list. No, I, I had to think what number. Like, where is he in the ranking? Okay, to you're, you. you're getting your bearings. I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't have to. We're, that's that's another episode. Okay, <laughs> hey, like, yeah, that's right. Doing rankings. Right. But. Yeah. Take some while to think <laughs> about that. I haven't seen the serials actually. Not not yet. Um, but let me tell you, they're not gonna take this top spot. No. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the pictures, so I have an idea. He's got those floppy ass ears and shit. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Um, best Batmobile ever. A fucking <laughs> Ford Caprice or whatever the fuck that is. Does Ford make Caprice? It's like I a Model know. T. <laughs> yeah, it's a Model T or whatever. Um, 
Batfleck's got the best bat suit. Mm-hmm. So that's let's just get that out of the way. But like overall, comparing like everything, um, I gotta say I'm I I know you hate the suit. I don't hate it as much as you do, but I don't love it. But I like Batman Begins in the Dark Knight. It's just the best Batman live action movies. And wh- so, <laughs> I'm I'm considering just live action for my list. Right, right, right. So, um, just to, I know it's like already complicated, but. Uh, yeah, I'd say Bale maybe number one, then Keaton. And then mm. I like Kilmer a lot. Yeah. And, well, you know what? Fucking, since Zack Snyder's Justice League, maybe, yeah, ben, Batfleck is above Kilmer. Mm. And then it's Kilmer's right below. Three for you. Yeah. Number three. Okay. Got yeah, it. Yeah, Batfleck's number three, yeah, probably. So to me, I, I think just unquestionable god tier is Adam West and Kevin Conroy. In terms yeah. Of just pure <laughs> iconography and being tied to the role and having influence for years to come. So like everyone else is below god tier uh, on that. And so when it comes to personal favorites in live action specifically, it's pretty much between Keaton and Affleck to me. Affleck is kind of like Keaton I grew up with, obviously is a live action Batman. And Affleck is almost like a Keaton Batman mixed with a comic book, more of the comic book Batman elements in there. So I feel very mixed between the two of them. I love them both, and it's great that both of them are back in The Flash. But the reason why I ask this isn't just to start discussion, but also bring up the the fact that Batfleck, uh, outside of the Snyder fans, is somewhat underrated, I feel like, in the public eye, because he didn't quite make the cultural impact that the Adam West or Michael Keaton or Christian Bale did in being associated with the character. And I think part of that is the fact that he didn't get his own Batman movie. He's always shared the screen with other heroes in a way that none of the others uh, had to do. There's never been a solo Batman movie starring Ben Affleck as Batman uh, yet. uh, Hopefully there will be, but as of this recording, not so much. So in a strange way, that's also what that's also what makes him significant is that he's the first live action Batman to share the screen with the Justice League, with Superman, with Wonder Woman, uh, and all those. So I think he has an interesting placement in terms of Batman history, where he has hit a lot of milestones, but you don't necessarily realize it uh, in a weird way, in a sort of underrated way. And maybe some of that is just the general awkward perception of the Snyder films where it's like very mixed uh, among certain circles but I it think a lot sunk of it in either uh, like yeah he's still yeah. so fresh the Zack Snyder one just came out yeah like we've had a lot of time to simmer with Keaton and yeah. the rest of them you know and Bale yeah so maybe some of that is there but I wanted to dive into not just the man himself in terms of his preparation for the role but also the very well thought out backstory to the Ben Affleck Batman that isn't really discussed that much Everything from his upbringing through the death of Robin and what we know about that uh, and possibly his future after Justice League. So let's dive into it. Let's start with the man himself, Ben Affleck. Maybe, from what I've researched, he might be actually the biggest Batman fan out of all the actors uh, before taking on the role. Right. So actors like Michael Keaton or Christian Bale or, or even Kevin Conroy were less familiar, weren't super familiar with the comics until they were started being... Uh, offered it. They might have read, like Christian Bale, I think, is on record saying that he read Grant Morrison's Arkham Asylum before he was up for Batman Begins. But Affleck himself is was already a fan uh, on that. Funny enough, Kevin Conroy was just thinking Adam West when he was going in for the audition <laughs> of the animated series. He had no idea and he had to learn while he was becoming a part of it. And obviously now he knows a lot more about it, but in the very beginning, not so much. 
Uh, ben Affleck is also, as everybody said when he was first cast, this is not the first superhero role that he's had. He was also Daredevil in 2003. And people held that against him in 2013 when he was first cast. However, uh, when he took on the role of Daredevil, according to Kevin Smith, there was actually a very Bat-related reason behind him taking on the role. This dude has loved Batman going as far back as I can remember. He only did fucking Daredevil because he loved Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns. He's like, they're never going to make another Batman because this was after Batman had nipples and shit like that. So he was like, Daredevil's cool and Miller wrote him as well. So he liked the character, but it was always rooted in Batman. <laughs> Weed. Thanks, Kevin Smith. So <laughs> according to him, Ben Affleck took on the role of Daredevil because he thought that was the closest he could get to playing Batman back in 2003. So that's pretty interesting, I feel. And it, I can see the comparison and I can see why he would think that because there had been no Nolan reboot yet for Batman. It was still around the time where you would be lucky if you got a comic book movie, one comic book movie for that year, as opposed to just the deluge that we have now. You know, I just realized the other day how like behind I am on just like superhero TV shows in general. I just started Invincible. So that's <laughs> so, yeah. uh, if, there's so I mean, much right now. Pre-2008... It was like a different world with this shit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, Kevin Smith also shared that Ben Affleck, not only after he bought Kevin Smith's house, uh, he installed a $50,000 secret entrance to a panic room, mimicking the sort of Batcave type entrance. So he kind of built uh, his own Batcave. Affleck built his own Batcave into his own house uh, in a way. So that just shows yeah, how Kevin much Smith of a fan brought, he is. bought that house, I believe. Or was it Affleck building it on? I thought Affleck bought the house from Smith. I remember Ben Affleck, from what I can remember, this could be wrong, but mm -hmm. Ben Affleck gets a little too famous and mm -hmm. it it was in an oh, area, it was in Hollywood. It's in Hollywood, which is mm -hmm. like where they do star tours and shit. Like, why the fuck are you living there anyway? But <laughs> yeah. he was living there and mm -hmm. so he moves out and sells it to Kevin Smith, his friend. Gotcha, and that's when he shows it to him. Okay. Yeah, so Kevin Smith moved into a bat house already, basically, and he left I had that. a feeling, yeah. I had a feeling it wasn't Affleck's current house because I'm sure he's you know moved a lot, moved around he's, since like Daredevil or something. But he's brought this still. up. Kevin Smith brought this up in his podcast before. Yeah. This is yeah. He says the tours go by his house every day. It's like he's not even hiding where the fuck he lives. <laughs> it's a fucking major, not major, but he's a celebrity. Like, dude, fucking be a little bit more chill about it. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Let's see. Affleck was not the only actor considered for the role of Batman in BVS, as we covered in our Patreon episode. And Batman vs. Superman wasn't the only time he was considered for a dive into Batman and the DC Universe, as we discussed in the Patreon episode on the Will Beale Justice League script, where he may have been up for Batman, or at least directing a Justice League movie at that time. But in terms of when he actually got to land the role, that was back in 2013, a little bit later after... Uh, after, obviously, Man of Steel had come out and Affleck had a good working relationship with Warner Brothers and Zack Snyder knew that he was at the right age as well as had the right physicality for the role, he deliberately wanted a Batman who was taller than Superman on this. Yeah, that uh, is cool. He's, he's like several inches taller than Cavill, which yeah, is awesome. Yeah, he's like 6'4". Yeah. Uh, this idea is not the first time that we've gotten a Batman taller than Superman. In George Miller's Justice League Mortal, we could have had Army Hammer's Batman... Uh, who is taller than DJ Catrona's Superman. So uh, that kind of carried over into Zack Snyder's Justice League. 
Uh, Affleck said that he himself was sort of drawn in with the idea of playing a different Batman, a more existential Batman who was a little bit more burnt out as opposed to a traditional take, uh, especially given the time that Affleck was already like hitting his 40s and being like, why do you want me as Batman? Like, shouldn't you go Snyder's for like, like, some other young reboot? Snyder's <laughs> like, you're an alcoholic, right? Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> At this time, he's so I don't now. know. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that played a role into it, but I'm sure it, it was something that there is that, that connection between the two versions of the character, between the version of the character that he played and Affleck's personal life. Uh, obviously, as we all know, Affleck was first cast and caused a whole wave of haters and detractors who basically associated him with Geely, Daredevil, all the stuff from like the early 2000s where he was just kind of taking any role that came his way. And, it was immediate, uh, by the way. It was like the next yeah. day, or you could feel it like the, the rumbling day of, yeah. the day of. Yeah, it was crazy, man. I remember it being kind of announced at night too. Do you remember that? Yep. I didn't kind, know it. Yeah, I didn't know I it during so. the day. I remember. Yeah. That's something that you know all of us would have heard immediately, right? And mm-hmm. it was already nighttime, and it was in August, so it was like kind of late when it was announced. Mm. Late in the day. Yeah. I remember reading a friend's post being like, Ben Affleck, that's an interesting choice. And then for some reason, he didn't say Batman in the post on yeah. Facebook, but I just immediately knew he was talking about Batman. I was like. Wait, did they just cast Ben Affleck as Batman? And then I looked it up on... I, I just saw it on Deadline. I'm like, there we go. Yeah, Is right? it true, Ben, that they were... I feel like they were in talks to have Christian Bale return as Batman because the Wayne like uh, logo that was used on the satellite in Man of Steel was that logo mm-hmm. from the, uh, the Nolan movies. So I didn't know if that was the original plan and he bowed out of it. Or uh, do you think they always intended to have another actor... Snyder said that he intended on having another actor because he considered this to be a different reality yeah. from the one in the Dark Knight trilogy. The reason why he uses the same Wayne logo is more for an Easter egg mm-hmm. uh, than anything else because there's also a Keep Calm and Call Batman poster in the background when the Metropolis buildings are falling and it's got the classic black and yellow oh, yeah. logo <laughs> at that point, which is obviously not what Batfleck is yeah. wearing. Uh, so that's, yeah, There's there's been speculation on that, but Snyder himself hasn't said, like, if anything... Uh, it's funny we covered this on the Patreon as as well, where Snyder was considering having Bale in a different role in Batman versus Superman, or at least joked about it. He joked about casting Christian Bale in old man makeup as Alfred, just to <laughs> cement the fact that this is a different universe from before. But that that's where he was considering Bale, if anything. It was like, yeah, maybe I'll do it just to say, like, hey, it's not the Dark Knight trilogy Batman. But it seemed like he did want somebody who was different. Bale's a, he's a method actor. He would have just aged himself on purpose <laughs> to play Alfred. I think he, he could do it. Just really he concentrate. Gone, he would have gone out in the sun, got sunburned, drank, <laughs> smoked himself to death. Like, <laughs> Fix it all with plastic surgery later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> then he's going to play Clayface. Yeah. <laughs> so he fixes his face. <laughs> Where does life and art uh, begin and end? We don't know anymore. <laughs> Snyder's like, Christian, you really devote yourself too much to this. <laughs> you did not have to come back. You don't have to do this, man. We want you to live until at least you're in your 60s. I know, right? Right? Come on. We need old yeah. man Bale here. Let's go into Ben Affleck's transformation into becoming Batman because... CrossFit, uh, he, maybe? Kind of, yeah. He was trained by a trainer named Walter Norton Jr., and uh, just to give you an idea, a lot of people, when they were when Affleck was first announced, they looked to Affleck's movie, The Town, because he has a scene where he's doing pull-ups. 
and shirtless and he's got a six pack and people will be like okay that's probably what he's going to look like in the movie uh affleck is 198 pounds in that scene in the town that's real he thin is, for six four he, he's he's a lot thinner in the town than he actually is in, in batman uh versus superman he went all the way up to 231 at 7.7 percent body fat and then dialed it back to 225 and funny enough in canon bruce wayne's body weight is 225 pounds so Affleck Jeez. nailed the exact pounds of Bruce Wayne in DC canon. Um, Norton brought up that he wanted, they all sort of wanted him to look like, quote, a thick MMA heavyweight puncher. This is a Bruce Wayne who's been lifting for 20 years, hitting that heavyweight bag, and working out every day in the manner. I'll just say that if you lined up all the Batmans before Ben and stood them next to each other, they're not 6'4", and they don't weigh 225 pounds, he's in a whole other class. And I would agree. <laughs> he's <I> swole. <laughs> Uh, Affleck was training for <laughs> 15 months ahead of production. So he was Damn. training during the production of Gone Girl, the David Fincher movie. Fuck the I haters. Batfleck. So Rules. he was training four to five days a week and eventually six days a week in order to get to this, putting on 2.5 pounds of muscles a month and working out nearly, you know, as I said, working out nearly every day of the week on that so he definitely devoted himself to this role i know that christian bale is the one associated with transformations and obviously it was a very impressive transformation going from machinist to batman begins but uh for considering what ben affleck was was uh you know up against in terms of not just fan detractors but also uh ben affleck was a lot older than christian bale uh was when bale first took on the role of batman in begins that uh, it is great that he was able to to do this and put in uh put in the amount of time to get to that size. So some interesting things here uh, that Affleck also added. Affleck himself is probably the closest to looking like the popular image of Bruce Wayne with the fact that he's got black straight hair and a square jaw. If you notice, the majority of Batman actors don't actually have that combination. Most of them have brown hair. Adam West, Christian Bale, Val Kilmer, even Robert Pattinson. Uh, Clooney's kind of... Salt and pepper. He's got the salt and pepper hair, so it's it's borderline. Uh, but Affleck himself is somewhat reminisce, reminiscent of the uh, Bruce Wayne in the Silver Age comics drawn by Sheldon Moldoff, where he's got like the very angular but swe- square jaw and uh, black hair. Funny enough, however, uh, that is not actually Ben Affleck's hair in Batman vs Superman or any of the others. He's wearing, he's wearing, a, wearing wig. a wig. I recently found out about that. Yeah, <laughs> he. He didn't create the wig, but he wanted his own Bruce Wayne style. I believe Affleck wanted to make sure that he had the traditional comic book Bruce Wayne hairstyle. It was like a widow's peak. Yeah, like it's not that his natural hair isn't that much different. It's not like Affleck is bald or balding uh, on it. But uh, Deborah Snyder apparently was not a fan of this idea initially, but they made it work because, I mean, I never noticed it's a wig during it. It's not that much dramatically different. Yeah, so that's awesome. Uh, a few other milestones, but as I said before, Ben Affleck is the only live-action Batman to interact with Superman, Wonder Woman, and all the other members of the Justice League, as well as fight aliens. Uh, none of the other live-action versions did. Uh, he's worn the most bat suits for a single iteration, so not just the BVS one, as I'm wearing, uh, and Justice League suits. Uh, those are different, but also the Nightmare Batman outfit, oh, right. uh, the, the armored mech suit that he wears to fight Superman, and the tactical suit at the end of Justice League. That is true. Forgot about uh, all that. Now, I think Adam West holds the record in terms of most live-action appearances in the costume, if you count the entire season of the 66 show, the 66 movie, and the Legends of the Superheroes special from the 70s that shall not be named. <laughs> but uh, 
Affleck holds the record for most movie appearances for The Dark Knight. He beats out Christian Bale, who has three. Uh, Affleck has Batman versus Superman, not counting the different cuts. Uh, Suicide Squad, not counting the different cuts. Uh, Justice League 2017 and Zack Snyder's Justice League, if you do count those two cuts, because those are dramatically different movies. And even if you did count, if you did count them as one, he's still showing up in The Flash, according to Andy Muschietti. So that makes it That's four cool. if, if you don't count the different cuts to all those. It could have been five, though. He could have had more because he was supposed to be in Wonder Woman 1. So according to the screenwriter of the first Wonder Woman movie, Alan Heinberg, uh, the original idea was to bookend it where Bruce Wayne arrives in Paris and talks to Diana to try to recruit her to the Justice League and find out why she has not worn the armor at least up until the Doomsday Attack, why she hadn't worn the armor in 100 years. That was going to be the original idea, and Ben Affleck's schedule did not accommodate that, apparently. Uh, and to its credit, Alan Heinberg brought up that it's probably a good thing because it would have taken the focus away from Diana for her own solo movie to have Bruce Wayne there. So it kind of worked out for the best, but again, that could yeah. have been another cameo there. The first of, solo movie's got to be t pretty much totally solo. Like yeah. Aquaman was too, and Shazam, right? Well, Superman shows up at the end, actually, but yeah, it's way but at that's... the end. So, so sorry, Barry Allen. So sorry, Flash. Ben. Yeah. Ben, I've got a new. That's true. He's, Flash is not going to have that, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I've exactly. got another wig fact for you. Just made me think about it with Ooh. the the Ben Affleck <laughs> thing. Did you know that Joaquin Phoenix is wearing a wig in Joker? Uh, as Arthur. Uh, as as Joker. as Joker with the green hair. Uh, I do. Okay I, then. I'm I'm I know Andrew knows that. You know so that I too. I mean the 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 big the frizzy wig. No, not the clown wig. His like green hair when he's Joker. <laughs> when he's the the regular Joker wig. We made that wig, by the way. I, I that's declassified. The, you made uh, the wig. We made the that clown hair thing. We made that. <laughs> I. Yeah. That's why I passed the mic to you. We made just it. Like, yeah, yeah, you would know that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're special. You're special in my eyes now. <laughs> no, I didn't know that he was wearing a wig when he was Joker until um, I like to collect a lot of reference photos for art. And I had mm -hmm. a really high definition photo of him. And it looked like a lace front or something. Like I could oh, see this little, gotcha. it looked like a mesh pattern. And I'm like, Am I seeing something? Is this just a photo? And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, he really had a wig on for that because they couldn't get his, his hair was like black, so they couldn't get it green enough. I just thought that was so strange. We didn't make that one. We made the, what looks like a store-bought wig. Yeah, the... Oh, the, when he was performing at the hospital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We made like, I don't, well, it's not the official name. We made like the shitty clown yeah. hair <laughs> one, you know what I mean? I don't know what the official name for it is actually, yeah. but that's like a custom thing for... For him wow it's, it's it looks like a like party city thing but it's not yeah, yeah. well that's cool awesome yeah uh so let's dive into the timeline the chronology of ben affleck's batman career on this because i think that's what's going to interest people the most so uh as we saw in batman versus superman thomas and martha wayne were played by jeffrey dean morgan and lauren cohen and a young actor who was 11 at the time uh, named brandon spink played young bruce wayne uh, as we previously covered in Batman vs. Superman, 
uh, Snyder versus Critics, one of the family friends that Bruce grew up with was Jack O'Dwyer, the man who, the executive who's caught in the Wayne Tower in the opening of Batman versus Superman. There was an article that was made. Yeah, I know Zach is still not Jack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, an article was made that had uh, talked about Thomas Wayne and Jack being at the same function, and, and Snyder wanted the idea of Jack sort of being another father figure to Bruce, another connection to Thomas Wayne, and that's why it's sort of devastating to Bruce when he dies in the Metropolis fight. Uh, in BVS, Alfred says that Bruce has been training in the art of deception since the age of seven, which is younger than how Bruce is presented in before the Wayne murders. So uh, presumably that was just an interest of his beforehand in terms of maybe just like acting or just general uh, tricks of the trade and all that. Uh, and that brings us to Alfred. Uh, Jeremy Irons as Alfred is, there's something unusual about him. And I don't know if you guys noticed this and take a guess if you want on what this is going to be. But if not, I'll just go into it. He was He's very really... sprightly. <laughs> he likes he vests. Sprightly. I mean, yeah. Zach's a little closer in the fact that this is about clothing. Uh, he's the only Alfred who never wears a black and white suit. Mm. Oh, okay. Think about it. He's almost always in regular clothes. He's never in a suit. He's not even wearing a blazer at any point in BVS in any version of Justice How League. How dare he? Uh, also notice that while Alfred is particular about serving tea in Zack Snyder's Justice League, at one point in BVS, Bruce serves coffee to Alfred. Oh, right okay, after, yeah. uh, Right after he wakes up uh, next to that girl in the bed. Most of the time, Alfred is working on Bruce's gadgets and gear. We never see him clean. At most, we saw him chopping wood for the fire. Uh, now, why is this? And that might be because Jeremy Irons as Alfred might not actually be, be a butler at all. Ah, interesting. So according to one of the tie-in co companion books to Batman vs. Superman, Alfred was a member of the SAS, which is the Special Air Service, like the Special Forces for the UK, basically, who was then hired by the Waynes as a bodyguard, not as a butler. Now, this is going to have, obviously, big implications for what's about to come to the Waynes. Uh, Jeremy Irons supports the fact that he wanted to convey the SAS background, citing a meeting with his friend Paul Getty and discovering that all of Getty's servants were former SAS officers, just like Alfred. So that is somewhat rooted in real life. Uh, so that's an interesting thing about this version of Alfred. Uh, 1981. Thomas and Martha take Bruce to see the Mark of Zorro, the Tyrone Power version, as we saw in the posters in the beginning of BVS. This is the first live-action movie to show Bruce Wayne having seen Zorro before the death of his parents. In the previous versions, it wasn't really clear. Batman Forever was going to imply it, but then it didn't make it into the final cut. Uh, it seems to be 1981 because of the fact that uh, the movie Excalibur is on the marquee, and that's one of Snyder's favorite movies. It's very influential, and we'll probably do a Patreon episode diving into the influences of Excalibur on the, to the Snyder movies. Uh, but Joe Chill came out in the shadows, played by Damon Caro, as we talked about in the BVS Snyder vs. Critics, uh, and shot down both Thomas and Martha Wayne, with Thomas's last words being Martha. Presumably, now with this context, that Alfred was the bodyguard who had a night off, his guilt over not being there to protect the Waynes is probably what causes him to take Bruce in as his own for the rest of his life. Wow. Okay. Uh, we then see the funeral of the Waynes on the Wayne Manor grounds, as we saw in the opening of BVS. Bruce runs off and ends up falling and discovering the cave. Uh, except for him flying when the bats come. Oh. That was part of the dream sequence. But everything else beforehand <laughs> probably happened. I remember theater was like, man, it's Snyder is fucking up. Oh, wait, maybe he's not. <laughs> like, it was a, everybody Batman in the theater felt a little uneasy during that. I, I, just, yeah. you know, the overall vibe. 
it's the introduction to metaphors and dream stuff, I think. That, yeah. That they weren't yeah. used to after, you know, the Nolan trilogy where it was mostly the, the Scarecrow fear gas, as Zack said during our BVS talk. Uh, according to Zack Snyder, Bruce grows up and decides to abandon Wayne Manor at the age of 18, presumably to go around the world and start training. Looking According for to blue the time, flowers and shit. And Tibet, yeah. <laughs> or Tibet. Yes. According to the Tyne Companion book, Bruce also dismisses all of the servants at Wayne Manor except one, Alfred Pennyworth. Uh, and Alfred presumably kind of is at least the guardian of the premises, not necessarily the butler, but at least the guardian of the premises. So Bruce goes off to train. Where does he go train? Now we have some information on that as well. Really? According to costume designer Michael Wilkinson, Bruce studied martial arts in Japan like his comic book counterpart. Specifically, he brought this up during an old interview about Justice League back when the Snyder Cut was supposed to be in 2017. It's supposed to be the cut we were getting in 2017. He says, quote, One big new detail is that Zack wanted the idea that there's a little more sense of armor and deflection on his gauntlets when he's being shot at. This is Michael Wilkinson actually telling us about those Wonder Woman-type gauntlets that Batman adopts in the Snyder Cut. We just didn't know it back in 2017. He said, so I designed this thing based on a samurai. We borrowed it from Bruce Wayne's history, too, so it has a connection with Asian martial arts in Japan, so I thought that would be perfect. So there's a samurai influence in the design of the gauntlets that Bruce Wayne uh, and Alfred design that sort of mimic Wonder Woman's bracelets. Um, you can also see Japanese armor among Bruce's belongings, not in the Snyder movies, but in Justice League, funny enough, uh, where it's in that room where he gets his arm or shoulder set back in by Wonder Woman. There's Japanese armor in there, kind of similar to Keaton ke keeping the samurai armor in 89 when he meets Vicky Where'd Dale you get it? Alexander oh, Knox. I got it in Japan. <laughs> like, that was <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> such a fucking billionaire move to be like, I've yeah. been in Japan in 1989. In 89, Now yeah. it's like, <laughs> it's pretty common for people to go to Japan now. So it's, I don't know, it's, the times have changed, but yes. not, everybody's, not everybody buys a fucking antique piece of armor though. So yeah, there is that, that but it's just too. interesting. Yeah, yeah, as the ability to bring it back or at least shipped back yeah, home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That cost a pretty penny. Some of those swords yeah. are like a hundred thousand dollars. Just the swords. Oh yeah, yeah. it's it's insane. No, it's amazing. Yeah. I, I I brought this up in our coverage of the of that movie, but I always felt that that room of armor is just stuff that Keaton's Bruce collected from each country that he visited for training. That's how I an idea. That's how I always thought of it too. Yeah. Because why would they? Why would it be? It's Japan and and like I think he has a, is there a knight suit? It's like armor? a knight in shining armor, so maybe yeah. he's in England to for whatever reason to meet Alfred's mentor at the time. Learning you know, like, like historical European martial arts, also like it's got the, potentially got the king of the wicker people too. He had to go to wicker, <laughs> yes. uh, wicker land. <laughs> that the one is always man? the most bizarre to me. Yeah, the you know that one he sees and Knox is like he must have been king of the wicker people. <laughs> And I always thought that one looked super weird, but uh, yeah, I wonder if he ran into Alec Baldwin's uh, the Shadow character when he was training in Japan. You know, Michael Keaton's Batman. If he was, uh, yeah, assuming that the Shadow doesn't age since the '30s, which in some versions he doesn't. Yeah, he probably would have. Those movies seem like they Maybe could take trained. place in the same universe. I always think about that. It does yeah, yes. The Alec Baldwin just like stays that age for centuries, <laughs> and then yep. and, like trains. Michael Ke young Michael Keaton's Bruce Wayne before 89. With his long fingernails and his long hair. Alec Baldwin. Oh, if he's back to being Yinko. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. 
Uh, let's go into some other fight stuff that he learned. So, according to Richard Citrone, who's the stunt double for the main stunt double for Ben Affleck, uh, Citrone collaborated with Damon Caro, who was the second unit director, the one who directed the warehouse fight in BVS, and also played Joe Chill in BVS. Uh, so, this is kind of funny that he's this involved with that stuff. But Citrone and Caro came up with the Batfleck fighting style. Citrone says, quote, Damon Caro is a longtime friend and training partner of mine, so I was very familiar with the martial arts used to construct Batman's fighting style. They were Western boxing. Uh, Jun Fun Gung Fu, Kali, Judo, Thai kickboxing, and even a professional wrestler move. So these would all be styles that Batfleck would be proficient and trained in during his travels. There's also a tie-in comic set during uh, sort of between Man of Steel and BBS that also has him working with a Wing Chun dummy. So he probably knows all of those. But I think the most interesting fact about this is that Batfleck has something in common with Christian Bale's Batman. They were both trained in Ra's al Ghul's League of Assassins. Oh, yeah. Mm. Now, who's the source on this? It's not Zack Snyder. It's not Ben Affleck. It's Joe Manganiello. <laughs> it's spilling the beans. Left Joe Manganiello right. is <laughs> telling us Lord. everything. What, with contracts? We got contracts? I, I don't know anymore. <laughs> I don't know anymore. <laughs> <laughs> not with this movie. <laughs> If any execs want to fight Joe Manganiello, you're welcome to. He's, <laughs> as of this date, still not being sued, at least publicly, you know, yeah. by Warner Brothers. <laughs> so Manganiello says that both Batman and Deathstroke were trained by the League of Assassins. On Deathstroke's sword in the nightmare sequence is a symbol that is that they put on there that is tied into the League of Assassins in the comics. Uh, Joe, however, did not clarify if Bruce Wayne and Slade Wilson were training at the same time. So I am not 100% sure if they were students together and rivals in the league when they were trained together, or Slade just happened to have been trained at a different time, and then they meet later on in life. That would have been awesome. That would have been like the Night of the Ninja. Is that the episode yeah. in the animated series? Yeah, yeah. Kyoda Tiken. That would be really cool if they meshed it together. I tried it on my brother, which is like trying, <laughs> trying to kill my Sadist. brother. <laughs> it didn't work. Yeah. I did not go to jail. <laughs> or juvie or whatever. So, he tried a uh, Batman death move on his own. <laughs> Apparently it does work. What if it did work? You know, that would be fucking insane. The judge is just like, just for the fact that I now know this Batman move works, uh, I'll be a little easy on you. <laughs> Everybody's avoiding me in you. prison, in juvie prison. <laughs> yeah. Like, you get yeah. close to me, blam! <laughs> Stop attacking Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> Arrhythmia, bitch. Blam! To your heart. <laughs> so, uh, this Batman was trained by the League of Assassins as well. So, that's definitely interesting. We will cover more of that when we cover the Batfleck movie that has not been made yet. But Joe Manganiello has spilled up a lot of beans. Again, we're delaying <laughs> Almost the release all of, of that. We're, we're delaying the recording of that because of the fact I just want him to have a few more interviews to spill more <laughs> before we do the episode. Yes, just Joe. Ha- just keep yes. interviewing this man, and he will continue giving. <laughs> the, the gift <laughs> Fuck the contract. <laughs> I, I think he probably signed one for BVS and the first Justice League, and like it's probably out the fucking window at this point. I didn't know years ago when I saw the first Spider-Man movie and I saw this man play Flash Thompson that he would be my number one source for Batman movie information <laughs> in 2021. Shit, I mean, him and... Uh, he's the dreamiest uh, dra- Dungeons & Dragons player. That too. Him and, him and Chris O'Donnell must have been eating the same Wheaties for, for uh, 
him to be in high school in <laughs> the first Spider-Man movie, him to be a high schooler. He was 35 in that role. Yes. <laughs> oh, Flash shit. has been held back many years. Many, many years. In high school at the, in Spider-Man 1. I wouldn't want to fight me either. I'm older than anyone else in the school. He's just good at sports, man, you know? Yeah. He's not good at that book learning stuff. So, uh... According to Snyder, Bruce Wayne is around 45 to 46 in BVS. So when he says, I've been doing this for 20 years in Gotham, that means he's probably around 25, 26 or so when he comes back and decides to become Batman. So we're looking at around the early 90s, 1993 to 96 or so. So Ben Affleck in Goodwill Hunting is our year one Batman uh, at this point. When he does come back, he does not live in Wayne Manor. He starts living in that lake house. Now let's talk about that lake house. That was kind of a bummer, but I'm glad I'm going to get an explanation now. Yeah, yeah. Because so, whenever you see a Batman movie, I'm sure everybody listening out there, you, you want to, you, yeah. how, how will this Batcave look? Will it <laughs> finally have the penny? You know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's very, it's something you're super into, and then it's like, oh, he's in a fucking lake house? What the, what is, yeah. what's going on here? This is kind of a bummer. So uh, he basically let Wayne Manor rot, uh, and goes into this lake house that according to Snyder was a gift to Martha Wayne Snyder says quote I think his father commissioned the lake house as a gift to his mother a place built by her favorite architect and she loved it when Bruce turned 18 he moved in he ordered Wayne Manor be left to decompose so that's uh, according to Zack Snyder on Vero this glass house in real life is based off the Farnsworth house done by uh, Mies van der Roch is the name of the architect uh, that house in real life is close to where they filmed uh, the location for the Kent farm uh, and they decided to build their own version of it for Bruce Wayne in Michigan, as Snyder points out in the commentary in BVS. I don't know if they really went to revisit that when they did the reshoots for Zack Snyder's Justice League when he meets Martian Manhunter, because that would be a lot considering the COVID restrictions. I feel like a lot of that is sort of green screened in there in uh, yeah, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Uh, Snyder wanted a deliberately minimalist lake house. No, it's all glass. There's barely anything in there. Uh, and a seemingly transparent Bruce or the transparency of the glass house, and have all the energy below the ground where the Batcave is because that's where Bruce really lives. So he wanted that contrast between the sparse, minimalist house with the energy of the Batcave underneath it. So that's very interesting. Uh, Bruce lives alone in that house. Alfred does not live in the lake house. Alfred, according to the tie-in companion book, lives in a trailer out on the grounds. Uh, <laughs> Living in a van down by the river. Gosh. Master Wayne, when shall I move into the lake house? <laughs> Stay in your trailer. Uh, there's, there's only there's, one room in the lake house. There's only so much vicious I can make in this trailer. Well, remember, he's not, yeah, so according to the, the companion book, Alfred, uh, Alfred's new position is head of security uh, for the Wayne estate, uh, and so he's not technically the butler, but he is seen chopping firewood for Bruce in the Ultimate Edition for BVS and presumably right outside of his trailer. Uh, some of that might just be because Alfred might prefer that type of living area. But let's face it, if you're Bruce Wayne and Alfred Pennyworth, you're likely sleeping in the Batcave most he, nights. He doesn't have any uh, heater, so he's chopping it up <laughs> for the fireplace or someplace in the trailer. <laughs> I just can't abide by that. Alfred living in a trailer. Heck yeah. Oh. This, this must be one of those like super souped-up joints, at least. Yeah, I would hope, given the Wayne money to pay for it. <laughs> I guess maybe... 
I don't know. I don't know. So in this one, there probably isn't a bat cave under Wayne Manor. The bat cave is under the lake house. Right. So he never actually, because he, as a child, well, 18, I guess. So Mm -hmm. he just let that rot and, you know, went off to train. So yeah, there's no bat caves. It's actually under Wayne Manor. I think that's weird. Right. Well, I mean, also keep in mind when he runs away in the opening of BBS. Yeah, he falls in that hole. He's already on the ground, so he's already somewhat far away from that. Whoop, I knocked him Oh, you fell in the well. Uh, (laughs) You fell in the well. (laughs) Shit. He'll levitate up. We know. (laughs) He's back already. Yeah, it's just, Uh, you know, that's strange. You think, you always think of like an entrance in the, in Wayne Manor going down to the Mm -hmm. Batcave, so. We also have never seen the entrance into the Batcave. We don't know how he goes from the lake house into the Batcave. Yeah, you're right. We never see it. In Justice League, he, he just has all of them in the elevator when they come down. Imagine the awkwardness of just bringing Wonder Woman, Flash, Cyborg, and Aquaman into the lake house and be like, into this elevator. I know we don't club. like it when the way they overuse Elfman in these new ones, but if there was Journey into Mystery being used into the God, into mystery, yeah. into, you know, that, that track from the Elfman when they're... Yeah. Man, the way Burton introduces the Batcave, man. God damn. Yeah. So good yeah. in that yeah. in 89. As we saw in BVS, the the entrance into the Batcave is right into the goddamn water of the lake yeah. as he yeah. drove into it, which is kind of interesting, uh, but makes sense uh, given where they are. Uh, let's see. Presumably at this point, Batfleck at uh, about 25, 26 does some version of Batman Begins. He returns to Wayne Enterprises and with Jack O'Dwyer's help takes it over. Uh, he starts off as Batman and taking down criminals with Alfred helping him out and making the gadgets and forms an alliance with J.K. Simmons' James Gordon. I have a question. I, yeah, question, Ben. Um, yes. So, th- in this story, I just want to reconfirm. He, when he leaves, when he's eighteen to go train in Japan. Yeah. He. This is when Wayne Manor proper uh, goes to shit. He lets it rot at that point. Pretty much, yeah. Okay, so I, what I was thinking before all of this tutelage was, um, Bane. Uh, he let it, he might have let it rot after Robin dies. Oh. He's like, fuck There's all a- this shit. And, but he lets all that go. But now it's now okay. So now it's new to me that this is uh, well, actually earlier than all that. Let me just put it this way: If you were to leave a house just to not take care of it and everything, the inside might be shit, but the outside not so much. There is a specific reason why the exterior looks like that that I will get into after the break. Oh shit! So <laughs> come on, come and join us after the break, and uh, you will find out more about that. See you then. We're the Spirit Hunters, and we're a show that treats Hunter Hunter and Yu Hakusho's author as the center of the universe. Some weeks, we do linguistic analysis. So the Chinese meaning of this character is to smelt or refine. But so the changed meaning in Japanese, it means to temper. Other times, we get absolutely smashed. So we take one shot every time. Yusuke uses the ray gun. One hour later. This is the least coherent episode. Oh, Sarah, oh, you... I think your apartment is you can find out more about the Spirit Hunters right here on the Greenlit Podcast Network. All right, looks like there's somebody in the source wall coming up. I'm just going to land here. All right, ring, point me to who's in the source wall. Maybe we can rescue somebody around here. Let's see. Over here and... Save me. Save me. All right, looks like it's a man in a metal mask and a green hood. Who are you? My name is Dr. 
Mr. Cool. I have been stuck here in this wall since the 70s or so. It was a weird event. Let's put it that way. Huh, Dr. Cool, I thought I knew everyone in Sector 2814. Uh, Alright, how'd you end up in here, Dr. Cool? I was just walking and fell down. That's it. Something's not adding up. Usually that's not how you get into the source wall. And also, why are you masked up like that? Uh, I'm in space, dummy. <laughs> I need a suit of some sort. And this, the source wall is not very comfortable. If you free me, perhaps we could team up together. And then I could send your enemies to their doom. Wait, wait, why did you just say that? Huh? What? You we, said send my enemies to their doom. I mean, don't you want to, you know, make your enemies shuffle loose their mortal coil? Sounds like something a criminal would say. Way to profile me. You you definitely are a cop. Let me just check with the Guardians if there's any sort of Dr. Cool in existence in this sector. No, okay, uh... That is your name, right? I have some shades here somewhere. Okay, that's interesting. I know they gave you sunglasses in the source wall. What is your first name? Doctor. First name, Doctor. Last name, Cool. Yeah, I'm not seeing anything in the database. I'm pretty sure you're giving me bullshit, Doctor. If that is your name. Dr. Cool. There's the name. Don't wear it out. I can't wear it out. It's not even your real what, name. What's your name? I, it's I'm Green Lantern. I'm Hal Jordan from Sector 2814. First name Green, last name Lantern. No, no, no. That's the, that's, that's the title. of. You know what? I don't even have to explain myself to you. You're probably some villain who deserves to be in the source wall. If I find out there's a Dr. Cool who needs, who needs rescuing, then I'll be back. But I'm out of here. This universe just feels weird. Wait, I didn't mean to say that. I'm not supposed to be here. Dr... Cool is is in a actually another universe. Let's put it that way. Well, if I check, let me do a facial scan actually and see if this matches up with the multiverse that Barry talked to me about. And uh, yeah, Victor Von Doom. Yeah, no, no fucking way. You're staying in the source wall. How the fuck did that shit? That shit's in that thing. I unbelievable. Wow, that's a powerful ass device you got there. As Arnold said in Kindergarten Cop. I'm a cop, you idiot. Well, you're not helping me out. Is that what no, I'm No, I'm not, not helping you out. I think I'm going to find if there's anyone else who needs rescuing, but uh, I think you deserve to be here, quite frankly. Just because I'm Dr. Cool? Uh, no, because you're Dr. Victor Von Doom and responsible for 500 war crimes on your Earth. You're not going to help me out. I'm pretty sure I made that clear. Well, fuck you then, buddy. I guess I'll wait on the next dope that flies by here. All right, you keep telling yourself that. I'm off. Fiddlesticks. All right, everybody, if you like that sketch right there, we have that plus news, plus we're bringing back some opinion pieces and uh, review type stuff and all kinds of stuff in our $5 tier on Patreon. So just go to patreon.com slash superhero stuff pod. And if you become part of the $5 tier, you can see these new bonus episodes. Basically, consider it Superhouse DLC. Vous écoutez des trucs des super-héros que vous devriez voir. Welcome back to the secret backstory of Ben Affleck's Batman, and we are going to cover... Well, let's first start off with his love life. 
So, uh, in Batman vs. Superman, he says to Diana when he meets her, I've known a few women like you, which everybody kind of has seen as an obvious Catwoman reference. Now, if you believe a lot of the internet, they say that Zack Snyder's choice for Catwoman was Carla Gugino, who also was the voice of the Kryptonian uh, machines in Man of Steel, BVS, and Zack Snyder's Justice League. However, I want to bring up the actual quote that Zack Snyder and the context where Zack Snyder talked about this. It was in another podcast where they pitched the idea to Zack about having Carla play the role of Catwoman. And Zack Snyder himself will chime in and tell us what exactly he said when they brought up her name. Probably, I would say Carla's Catwoman is perfect. You would have to say there's a flashback to 10 years ago where they were a thing. And then he had to arrest her. I don't know what happened. Or he had to let her go. And it tweaked him. And now, who knows what she's doing now. She's running some sort of international antiquities or something, and he needs to retire. And they find each other. Yeah, I do think Carla is, yeah, she's good. <laughs> So she's a, t- she's a top ten broad. <laughs> she's a in context, ten plus broad. Ten plus broad. How could I forget? Settle down, Bob King. <laughs> uh, in in context, this is Zach basically spitballing ideas on that podcast. It's not him saying this is what this is absolutely what I was envisioning way back when we were writing BVS. This is just him spitballing the idea. But I think in his mind, uh, Catwoman is the closest that Bruce Wayne would have had to a relationship, and something happened years beforehand. They were saying ten years ago. I'm assuming 10 years before BVS, so that places it around 2006 or so. Uh, coincidentally, 10 years ago was also the amount of time that Snyder assumes that Robin was killed. So let's talk about the death of Robin and what we know about it, because we know a little bit more than you would think based off of the uh, the stuff that we got in the movies. We haven't talked about it this much, but when we haven't even talked about when Alpha got a Robin in the, the first place, because I'm holding out on something. In the comics, Joker kills Jason Todd, the second Robin. This is not the case in the Snyderverse. In the Snyderverse, Joker kills Dick Grayson as Robin. And it happened 10 years before BVS. There is no other Robin after Dick Grayson in this version. Now, we don't know the exact circumstances, but we'll piece together clues based off of what's in the movies and what Snyder himself has said or what people behind the scenes have said. So... Uh, first off, Joker refers to the incident in Zack Snyder's Justice League and in our sketch at the end of the, the uh, Snyder vs. Whedon series as Batman having, quote, sent a boy wonder to do a man's job. <laughs> so it was some sort of assignment uh, on it. Uh, a BVS costume designer named Douglas J. Stewart said on Instagram that Robin, quote, was brutally murdered and then set ablaze by the Joker. Whoa. Yeah. Okay, there's an injustice move where he does that, I believe. Pours yeah. gasoline on him. Yeah. If you notice, the colors of the Robin suit is almost like a brown Robin suit. That's because he was burned alive. It's not because he always looked like that. It was because it was the colors have faded because of the damage that was done. All to get attention from his boyfriend. Yes. Now, according to Snyder, and this ties into what you were talking about earlier in the break, Andrew, because as I said, just because you abandon a house doesn't mean the outside of it automatically looks as bad as it does in BVS. Joker sets Wayne Manor on fire. Wow, so Joker During goes to a rampage to kill Robin. in the storyline. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, so it's in an even worse state uh, than it was if Bruce just abandoned it. For this to have happened, Joker must have found out that Bruce Wayne was Batman at this time. 
Otherwise, what, what's the point? Uh, why, is, why the gesture of killing Robin in Wayne Manor? He already knows his identity in the nightmare sequence because he calls him Bruce in that. And he would know, again, no motivation otherwise to do it if he didn't know that Bruce was Batman. Now, on the costume of Robin is spray painted the words, ha ha, jokes on you, Batman. Now, this is interesting because if he just set Robin ablaze, when did he spray paint that? In the nightmare sequence, Bruce also replies to Joker's mention of Robin that, quote, it's funny you would mention people who died in my arms, implying that Robin died in his arms. So I'm going to introduce a dark possibility here. Joker might have burnt Robin, set him on fire, but kept him alive enough to die in front of Batman. Damn. That's my speculation that's, on that. Uh, yeah, that's a possibility. That's that's definitely, he has to know what he's doing with fire, but I guess uh, yeah. Joker Joker knows about that kind of stuff. Sets him ablaze, <laughs> then basically gets rid of the fire, spray paints it on him, leaves him basically close to dead on the steps of a burning down Wayne Manor by the time the Batman shows up. That's kind of how I envisioned this, based off the clues that were presented to us. Uh, the idea was that the Robin suit in the Batcave is meant to show what is left of the costume, what is left of Dick Grayson, and explains why it's not the traditional colors, as I brought up. Uh, the actual Robin suit was made in real life from a stunt bat suit. Uh, they, you know, it was a leftover material, and they didn't need to use it anymore, so they just used it for that scene in the movie where he looks up and sees it. Now, people have noticed in the display case, Robin is holding a weapon of some sort. It looks like a uh, specifically a halberd, or it's basically something that's almost like a, a medieval axe. Uh, and people have brought up, well, you know... <clears throat> Robin must have been going around hacking people to death in this version of the Snyderverse, but I don't think that's necessarily the case. And the reason why is Frank Miller. In Frank Miller and Jim Lee's all-star Batman and Robin, Dick Grayson is given the choice of whether to kill the man who killed his parents. And he's holding the same weapon. He's holding a halberd. And he brings it down and decides not to do it, and he deliberately misses uh, the killer and makes his choice to choose justice over revenge. And Bruce decides from then on that this kid is worth basically training into becoming another him. So maybe it's a poetic gesture for Bruce to have Dick hold that in the display case as sort of just a callback to when Dick made that choice. I'm not really sure, but it is interesting that he has that as opposed to like a bow staff or anything else like that. Um, they actually did build a tombstone for Richard Grayson on the set of Wayne Manor in BVS. Oh, shit. We did not see it, but it is, there were set photos of it. Uh, and it's also shown in the trailer for Justice League called Secrets of the Mother Box, which is like this CG trailer that showed different clues that also had the Tom Waits song Time over it. So there, oh, there's a tombstone yeah. that says, yeah, Richard Grayson on it. I got to go back uh, and watch that. I don't remember that part. Yeah. So keep, yeah, keep your eyes peeled for the part, especially where it's like Batman's section where it looks like he's like tied up by the pearls of his mom. So Snyder himself confirmed that Dick Grayson would stay dead and not be resurrected. There is no Red Hood storyline of Dick Grayson. Dick is dead. Uh, in December 2020, Snyder revealed that he had spoken with Jim Lee about doing a comic tie-in to his Snyderverse where we would see all of this go down. And DC, of course, said no. So, <laughs> I think we, yeah, we, we don't need down. to go. <laughs> Kid willing an axe in this scene. There's already stuff that they've printed before. It's not oh, like no. we've never seen Joker kill Robin in no, the comics. No, Let's I go know. back to 1988. They have a major uh, game series where every fucking 14-year-old <laughs> or 12-year-old or younger is playing that yeah. shit, too. So. Yeah. I'm trying to think uh, if, like, I don't know 
how this went down, but maybe uh, Robin was fighting Joker and he got lit on fire somehow, but was fighting him still. And then, mm-hmm. like, you know, Joker kind of left him, and then as soon as he put himself out and was maybe dragging himself along, then he spray-painted him. I've been trying yeah, to think about how that would go. Yeah, something it along those lines. It would be rough to watch, though. Think about all we're describing right now. Yeah. It, it would be, like, rougher than Joker, maybe, uh, in a lot in some ways. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> Especially it's if definitely it, darker than the comics. If we had, like, set-up time, we, like, grow to like dick grayson and then all this stuff happens like it's mm-hmm. it's would be rough man really yeah. really rough yeah yeah now uh in the 2016 cut of suicide squad it says that harley quinn was an accomplice to robin's death which i personally Woo. think is a little out of character i don't think harley would have been down for that specifically however according to david Ayer, uh that was not the plan at all his plan uh, was very different on that, and I will have David Ayer chime in to let us know. This is sort of my personal thing, and maybe less about a larger connection. But Joker killed Robin, and Batman basically smashes his teeth down and locks him up in Arkham Asylum. <laughs> it's in the asylum where Joker would have done the damage tattoo as a message to Batman saying, you damaged me, I was so beautiful before, and now you've destroyed my face. That's where the grill comes from. Cream of the crop. (laughs) This explains Joker's look in Suicide Squad. This was Ayer's idea. However, Ayer spilled the beans that it was Jeff Johns who ultimately put in that one line that said Harley wasn't accomplished to robin's murder which kind of ruins the entire timeline because if you remember in suicide squad leto already has the tattoos and the grill when he meets harley which in this timeline if she was an accomplice to killing robin that means that he had all that shit before he killed robin in the theatrical cut of suicide squad it fucks up the entire thing so this hadn't been really hashed out this this aspect of the Snyderverse, not entirely rock it was, solid it was hashed out by David Ayer until Jeff Johns ruined it by saying that uh, Harley was an accomplice to the murder. So just to give you, just to break this down, Ayer's idea is that Joker kills Robin, gets the teeth knocked out, recovers in Arkham, gets the grill and the tattoos, and once he gets all that stuff, then he meets Harley and Quinzel and then turns into Harley Quinn. In the theatrical cut version, Joker already has the smashed the metal teeth and the tattoos meets Harley and Quinzel turns into Harley Quinn and then together they go off and kill Robin weird yeah, yeah. the first one's better obviously yes <laughs> so, it's like they were too they, they were too lazy to do a, the air. <laughs> they were too lazy to do a grillless Joker and tattooless Joker for like the flashback scene man I gotta tell you yeah. it was at least a bold statement yeah I give them that they got the internet mm-hmm. talking but it's, it's not what most people wanted, including me. <laughs> right. yeah. I didn't you know? mind. I didn't mind the metal teeth. It's the forehead tattoo. I agree. Tattoo. I agree. And that's that's the yeah. worst part. It really is. Yeah, because I I actually like it in the helicopter scene. He definitely has a different grill in. It's like they're all mm. metal, and it's like black metal. So it's like okay, those are actually false teeth. But then the most of the time he's wearing this grill that it's on like all their promotional material that it looks like a grill. Like you can see his real teeth 
under mm -hmm. the parts of it that are you know have little gaps that are stylized and that to me is stupid because then it's like you a style <laughs> choice you see the rap video that leto joker's in in the lead yeah. up to suicide squad yeah it's purple like, lamborghini like no story there's no story to it at all you'd think they'd do a little bit but it's just like, it's like i'm riding in boats and cars <laughs> just, and that's it boats and hose yeah. places yep <laughs> <laughs> which i know that's so, normal for for like for that those kind videos, of music yeah. video but it being a joker thing you still yeah. feel like i don't know like add a little bit more to it but yeah mm -hmm. oh well so uh we'll dive a little bit more into jared leto's joker when we do an episode on him that's gonna be interesting yeah uh but uh <laughs> if we're skin to, purple like uh, snake here. skin trench coat deal that was cool though that yeah was kinda i kind of like that, that too that cool no twist. problem cool no problem with yeah. that yeah uh if we go into snyder's timeline where batman and catwoman broke up around the time uh around 10 years ago and the death of robin happened 10 years ago maybe they were related maybe the death of robin caused batman to break it off with her and arrest her not wanting to trust or have someone close to him again that seems like that likely is what would have happened if we were to sort of compartmentalize this entire timeline into one cohesive story of why batfleck is in this state when we meet him in batman versus superman so let's go into the mental state of batfleck uh i know that there's obvious ties with the Ben Affleck Batman and the Dark Knight Returns Batman in terms of what, you know, the whole BVS aspect, the, you know, fighting Superman in the mech armor and certain scenes. However, I would argue that Batfleck also has ties to the regular canon 80s Batman post A Death in the Family because after Jason Todd was killed in the comics, Batman did get a lot more brutal. In the storyline Ten Knights of the Beast, he basically leaves KG Beast to die. Uh, and that was later retconned. Uh, KG Beast being the uh, costumed identity of Anatoly, who is in BVS, the henchman to Lex Luthor. So there's that connection. Uh, in the comic Year 3, it establishes that uh, Batman's state of mind has been more reckless and brutal since Jason's death, and even at one point points a gun at a criminal, uh, but obviously doesn't pull the trigger. And then the storyline of Lonely Place of Dying is when Tim Drake comes into Batman's life and he sort of helps batman turn things around and lighten up a little more which is similar to how batman reacts after superman's death in bvs so i would say batflex kind of a combination of the frank miller batman but mixed with the uh batman in you know post death of the family comics that was happening in the late 80s and early 90s in terms of his mental state of, of taking out his grief on people out there uh the according to snyder bruce wayne uses sex and drugs and alcohol to numb the pain as we talked about in the bvs uh, Snyder versus Critics. He has no relationship outside of Alfred and uses romantic relationships to dull the pain of his own trauma. He told Affleck, quote, you fuck to forget. <laughs> so, uh, to symbolize this, he, oh, in the man. bedroom, in the bedroom where Bruce wakes up next to the woman in BVS, uh, there's a photograph up above him done, uh, that's a Mapplethorpe uh, photograph. Uh, Mapplethorpe was a photographer who often did nudes. And so, Snyder wanted that sort of connection there by having that above Bruce Wayne's bed. You have a nude painting. Uh, you are a sex addict. That's what that tells me. <laughs> Gross. Wow. <laughs> so uh, it's around this time then that the events of Batman versus Superman happen. And then leading up into uh, after BVS is his uh, cameo at the end of Suicide Squad where he gets the files from Amanda Waller and then he sends the photograph to Diana in the beginning of Wonder Woman 1 and then he starts off in his journey to find Arthur in the beginning of Zack Snyder's Justice League. We are not counting Justice League in canon. 
in this, <laughs> even though I did reference it as, in terms of the samurai it's stuff. WB's canon, right but it's not our canon. <laughs> yeah. It's not this podcast and then, canon. Uh, in terms of future stuff after Justice League, obviously we talked about uh, the fact that there was going to be the Deathstroke movie that's set up at the end of Zack Snyder's Justice League. Uh, Snyder said that there would be no Robin after Dick until Carrie Kelly. Hell yeah. The Dark Knight Returns Robin. So it's at some point in the future, Snyder thinks that Batfleck would have a Carrie Kelly Robin. Uh, and then, as I talked about in the Justice League sequels plan, uh, Batgirl was going to have a role in the Batfleck movie. Again, thank you, Joe Manganiello, for telling us that. And uh, <laughs> it was going to be Barbara Gordon was going to be in the works to be the mentor to the Batman that takes over from Batfleck in the original idea for uh, Justice League 2 and 3. Now, since Bruce, as we revealed in the original plans, Bruce was going to have a romance with Lois and she would bear his son. However, in this continuity, that doesn't happen. So you can't really have that happen. So I'm kind of wondering why, how they would have adapted to that because you can't have this ending of a of a boy raised by Superman yet is biologically connected to Bruce Wayne become Batman because that just never happened. Is it is it just Barbara Gordon takes on the role later on? Like, who knows? I'm not sure. Uh, it's obviously not Dick Grayson because he did, but... <laughs> I, I don't know. It's interesting to, to speculate on that. Uh, but now that we've laid out the timeline, uh, I have a few other aspects to go into, but just in terms of the timeline of his overall career, what do you guys think so far of backstory, the death of Robin, the whole lake house thing? Any thoughts so far? I mean, I think it's pretty cool. I just think there's a lot of ramifications of our speculation into the Joker knowing Batman's identity. Yeah. Like since, so what that was that supposed to be ten years ago? So for ten years, he's known his identity, and is that why he's one of the few Batman villains that we still see alive? Is Batman been killing his bad guys? Is he is he feel like oh, he can't it. touch the Joker now? Like, I you know because it seems like in Suicide Squad, Joker is relatively successful, and he has a lot of powers, a lot of like men, yeah. and you know. In any movie, he does seem to have henchmen, but it's like he has a reputation and all this stuff. And I always think that's kind of interesting because in most of the other movies, we don't see a Joker that is a successful criminal or a businessman. Mm -hmm. I guess you kind of get used to the Heath Ledger Joker being like just a somebody that is chaotic well, and wants to destroy yeah. everything. And, you know, you have these other lunatics following in his footsteps or as his henchmen. But this Joker is like an organized crime uh, person. Like he's actually successful. So I want to know, like, how did he get to that point? Uh, and mm. him knowing Batman's identity, that's uh, that's interesting. Or it could be like, you know, and uh, what is the death of the family? I guess where it's, yeah. it's revealed that early on he may have already known that he was Bruce Wayne or Bruce Wayne told Joker, but Joker just ignored him. Like he didn't care, so I don't know. It's it's interesting to think about. Yeah, there's an aspect where Joker doesn't care about the man behind the mask. He cares about the Batman in some way. Ah, uh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's does, what I. That's uh, yeah. kind of the general gist of that. Yeah. Generally, Joker doesn't really care about Bruce Wayne. That's yeah. That's interesting. If you think about it, yeah. yeah. Like how often has he really gone after Bruce specifically? Yeah, because that doesn't have anything to do with him. It's all about Batman. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Um. <clears throat> Has Burt Ward ever said anything about any of these Robin ideas? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, 
that would be interesting to me. Like, <laughs> in terms of all these Robin deaths, I guess, or like the plans for Snyder, or what's his what's his thoughts on the Snyderverse? I don't know. I think that would be interesting. Um, I don't know how much Burt Ward is paying attention to this right now. <laughs> He's too busy feeding his dog. That's what I was yes, going to say. So. That yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he made that a big point when he was on Comic Book Man. Um, selling That's his, his dog, business, selling his dog yeah. food. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is that's cool. Um, yeah. But uh, I mean, the over, oh, to me, the overarching thing is like for like everybody just kind of makes fun of Snyder for making all these changes with the lake house and Robin and all this and everything that we've gone over. But mm-hmm. you know, you it's 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 good to change it a little bit, right? I mean, yeah. you don't want to do the same thing. I mean, I know he did the kind of the exact same thing except for the ending for Watchmen, but that's a different movie. We're not talking about that right now. That's a different thing, yeah. But you put you want to put your own stamp on it. That's the whole. That's the whole uh, tradition, basically, of American comic books at this point. And he does change it. He makes all of his changes. And as long as you back it up with this, with these backstories that he has, and there's like some logical reason for all the changes that were made, what's the problem? What is, yeah. the, what is the problem with, with, with what Snack Snyder's doing? You know, if it's all this seems to be pretty well thought out. So, you yeah. know, like, and, I, you know, now we've kind of, everybody made the turn on Batfleck, I think, first. Like, they hated mm-hmm. him. Now everybody fucking loves him. And yeah. now, especially since Zack Snyder's Justice League, people went from, like, you know, shitting on Snyder to, like, you know, he's, like, the most celebrated director right now. So it's, like, a pretty pretty big 180 for, for both of them. Yeah. And I'm just glad that, like, he's already, like, a multimillionaire, so why the fuck would I have to feel so happy for him? But he did. He got over his depression, it seems like, or, or he's handling mm-hmm. it at least. And yeah. he, he is... Uh, and Ben Affleck is, um, you know, supposedly sober. I don't know, but it seems like it. He looks a lot better in the end scene of Jack Snyder's Justice League. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, like we said before, Ben, you brought it up before, but life entertainment, imitating art, like he's, he's mm-hmm. and like, so his, his health is better, but also his acceptance by the fans is, is through the fucking roof, you know? Yeah. So, is great. I think it's, it's interesting to see what's happened with all of us in the nerdosphere online and and everything. You know, they went from hating him to want to creating a new hashtag to get more of him. You know, yeah, all <laughs> like we want now it's, is, is it's his great, Deathstroke yeah. movie or that. There was that big script. We haven't really gone over this yet. I think, and I don't know mm-hmm. how much is over it, but how much is out about it? But the script that's like Batman being stuck in Arkham Asylum. That was Batfleck's script. There's elements of that something in like Deathstroke. That, yeah. yeah. And having to fight out of Arkham or something, and that was the whole movie, and like there were people saying that's the best script I've ever read or or whatever. Like there were some people that kind of leaked their opinions about it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you know, we'll see what happens with, with all that. I mean, if Batfleck if, if if Ben Affleck were to direct his own for HBO Max or whatever, or what do that Deathstroke movie, I mean mm-hmm. it'll be sweet. Really awesome. Yeah. It would be. So uh, I, I definitely appreciate how well thought out everything is, even if I don't necessarily agree with, say, the lake house or Alfred living in a trailer. I'm like, well, it's, it's <laughs> awesome that... that I, yeah. I take issue with that one. <laughs> <laughs> it is awesome that that's the world, though, that's been built up because I, I just feel like I don't think I would have appreciated if all he did was just like, no, we're going to use the same exact shit that Nolan did. We're going to have just with different actors. We're going to, he's been in the same bat suit. He's going to be in the same set for Wayne, Wayne Manor. It's the same set from The Dark Knight Rises. We're just going to pretend that the whole 
you know Joseph Gordon-Levitt thing happened in between and it didn't help so that type of stuff I don't I don't think I would have enjoyed it as much I like the fact that this is the only iteration of Batman I can do this episode with if you think about it because there's a right. secret history to it as opposed to the other iterations where kind of like what you see is what you get on it whereas right. here it's see, there like you go. Yeah. it's 20 years and it's, and it's Ben Affleck who has been in the industry for about 20 years anyway so even if he hasn't literally been playing Batman for 20 years you get a sense of that history anyway because of the fact you've seen him in so many movies uh, he's such a big star for a while that it's you kind of have to imagine that uh, in a way and I, I really like that I like that, that Snyder has really mapped out an entire character journey for Batman that is different from the comics we haven't even talked about the whole killing thing but uh, I mean all the live action Batmans are pretty much killed but it's <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> just is, throwing that out there. But at least uh, uh, still, you know what Snyder. I, I don't like it, but at least it's like the burnout badass. It was an intentional thing, though. It was an intentional yeah. journey. Even if we can argue about the execution, it's an intentional journey from Snyder's part yeah. to yeah. get him to the point that we saw at the end of Justice League, and even further than that when we covered in the Justice League sequels. Right. Uh, so I just have a few elements to go into in terms of nice Easter eggs or things that were that continue this idea of, of Zack Snyder putting a lot of thought into things when it comes to the different uh, elements of the Batman mythos. So one element is the Batcave. So as I said, it's located under the lake house, not under Wayne Manor. Uh, but <clears throat> here's the part that I love about it. And this is thanks to production designer Patrick Titopoulos. The only things that touch the ground in the Batcave are the chairs. The computer desk, everything else, they are bolted to the ceiling. Everything is bolted to the top, like how a bat hangs from the ceiling. So that's an awesome detail that I really love that's about cool. that. Everything is hanging from the from the top. Uh, he also brought up that he wanted to feel like uh, a building trying to fit in a cave, like Bruce Wayne is trying to fit as much as he can in this cramped space. Because if you think about it, that, that cave is not actually that big. There's literally that like one lab area, and yeah. then the area with the, yeah. the Batmobile, and that's it. Uh, and then when it comes to that area housing the suit, uh, you can see that it actually, in certain set photos, uh, it actually requires Bruce's handprint in order to open. You don't really see it in the movie that much, but he has to put his hand on there in order for it to even open and see it. Uh, originally, Welcome Snyder wanted... Bruce Wayne. Oh, I yeah. have to fix this goddamn computer. <laughs> Imagine if it didn't work. He's like, shit. God damn it. <laughs> so we have a power outage. Uh, so oh, take the glove off. All right. Yeah. Snyder said originally he wanted the bat suit to come out from the ground, like you saw in the Dark Knight in the Dark Knight Rises in the Bat Bunker. Tatopoulos uh, is like, no, from the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly love the ceiling thing. It, it's such a cool aspect. Uh, so yeah, he had some concept art or storyboards of the the bat suit rising from the ground, but I think maybe they thought that was too similar to what Nolan did. I liked it. With the uh, Bat Bunker. It made me think of the. Uh... Batcave, like Bruce or uh, Wayne Manor playset, where you like spun the top of it and it had like oh, the little, yeah. like <laughs> you could put Bruce Wayne on one side and Batman on the other and flip it around. Yeah, yeah I just thought that yeah. was cool. It's like it, it seemed like it spun around to me. Did it come down from the top? Uh, I think he intended it to come down from the top, but it looks like it's literally just him putting his hand on yeah, the then door. It, it like and spins then, or something. Yeah, yeah, uh, and then it opens up. Uh, inside is the bat suit, which was obviously inspired by the Frank Miller Dark Knight Returns suit, uh, just without the trunks. Uh, costume designer Michael Wilkinson said he deliberately gave it scratches uh, and bits of wear and tear on it. So I don't think you can see it very well, but even on my Halloween costume of it, the one that I'm wearing right now, I can feel different grooves and scratches on there. 
from him being cut by Catwoman or somebody with a knife like Mr. Zaz, all that type of stuff. So that's really awesome that, that level of detail is in there. Uh, one thing that came up that was interesting is the Batman voice. Batfleck is unique in this aspect, as everyone sort of noticed, is that Snyder thought it would make more sense if Bruce Wayne, with all his technology, had a voice filter into the cow as opposed to putting on a voice. I was admittedly a little disappointed in this decision because I wanted Affleck to kind of have that Keaton-esque whisper that he had in Daredevil, but it, I, it's a fresh approach, and I think it works for the most part in the movie. I think, uh, I think I've said this before, but my main preference is a Conroy-type voice as number one, which is why I keep trying to mimic that in our sketches, and then number two is the raspy whisper with Keaton and Kilmer, um, and then, uh, then the voice filter. Yeah, I like uh, it. I think it's cool. And then throat cancer is number four. Sure. <laughs> Where's uh, the trigger? <laughs> that is my least favorite. <laughs> um, I love wearing but... this shoe as a suit. Say that so, it gets worse by the third movie. I don't really notice it as much yeah. in that first in Batman Begins. I guess it's, it's... not as bad. Batman Begins. No, he's were making just... fun of it in the or laughing in the theater when I saw Dark Knight Rises. It yeah. was it had already become parody yeah. at that point. Yeah. Uh, this version with the voice filter is also what he has in common with the Telltale Batman, as we talked about in the Telltale game. So uh, I think they're, they might be the only ones that have that aspect. But correct us if we're wrong in the uh, comments below. Is, uh, did Arrow have this influence? Because Arrow was, started, was it doing It might this. have. Arrow did it in 2012 before either of these. So it might have been an influence. Also, on the Kevin Smith podcast, he pitched that idea oh, okay. before that happened. Okay. Partially thanks to Arrow. So I guess it starts with Arrow, then Kevin Smith being like, man, this would be cool. And then, like, Telltale Batman and Zack Snyder did it around the same time in 2016. Yeah. Let's talk about Bruce Wayne's cars. Uh, in Batman vs. Superman, Bruce Wayne drives uh, a very interesting car to Lex Luthor's party. This is very different from the Lamborghini Murcielago that, uh, or Murcielago, uh, correct me, <laughs> any of our Spanish speaking uh, fans out there, but. Uh, he drives a 1957 Aston Martin to Lex Luthor's party. This car in real life is owned by Zack Snyder. Oh, shit. Zack Snyder owns that Aston Martin from BVS. Uh, and it is not the only Aston Martin that he owns. Warner Brothers, after the success of 300, bought him an Aston Martin Vanquish <laughs> back Damn. in like 2007. Obviously, that was back when he and Warner Brothers were cool. Uh, so yeah, we'll see what happens this is, now. <laughs> I don't think they're giving him an Aston Martin after. Did Zach you Snyder's see what he said about Army of the Dead? He was like, "The Netflix cut. That's the good cut. I don't, don't need have two cuts the, like Warner the, Brothers." <laughs> he likes Netflix. Cut. Yeah, yeah. I can't blame him. I can't blame yeah. him. Uh, this is another Batman Bond connection, since the Aston Martin is a common car associated to James Bond. Uh, but as you notice, he is not driving the Aston Martin in Zack Snyder's Justice League. He's driving a more futuristic looking car. It's the it's a Mercedes, the MG Vision Gran Turismo, and it was built just for Zack Snyder's Justice League. Uh, I sort of see this as representative of Bruce's mindset. You have an Aston Martin in BVS that is very much of the past for an antiquated uh, type of thing, old car. And then you have a very new modern car for this sort of fresher Batman who's ready for a new start in Justice League. So I thought that was interesting. Let us know. If you want more of a deep dive of Bruce Wayne's lifestyle, maybe a Batman Lifestyle Part 2 episode where we can go into all the different cars that Bruce himself has been shown to drive. Lifestyles of the, the Bat and Famous. <laughs> yes. 
Yes, Robin you, Leach. Leach. <laughs> I know all of our young listeners know exactly who he is. <laughs> yes. Uh, let's go into the Batmobile, though. Uh, it is, according to Patrick Tatopoulos, the biggest Batmobile ever built. Even bigger than the Tumbler, because it's the width of a bus. It is 20 feet long and 12 feet wide. I don't think the Tumbler matches those uh, measurements. No. Um, and it is 8,500 pounds. Uh, so you definitely don't wow. want the thing running over you. Uh, so is it diesel? Do they cool. say <laughs> they did not go into the the gasoline? Oh man, that. that's what I want to know. <laughs> we'll come back to that in the the Batman <laughs> lifestyle part two. But that's fucking uh, heavy, man. Probably you know. Yeah, the we this is not the bat the only Batmobile, of course, that we've seen in the uh, Snyderverse. We also saw the Dark Knight Returns Batmobile at the end of Zack Snyder's Justice League, which Snyder has dubbed, quote, the War Machine. Not related to Don Cheadle, but it's called the War Machine. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, the, the last one... Yeah. The last one I want to end with is the Flying Fox because there's something very interesting about this that I don't think we know or have realized that much about. So the Flying Fox uh, is meant to be not designed by Bruce Wayne. It's meant to be, have been designed by Thomas Wayne. It's meant to be have been designed by Batman's father. Uh, so, according to Zack Snyder, Thomas Wayne developed it for a military purpose. So, Thomas Wayne is a very talented man because he's not only a medical doctor, a businessman, but he's also designing vehicles here. Um, but uh, he says one of them was almost partially built, almost finished, and he just had to adjust and fix it. But the idea is between the two movies of BVS and Justice League, Batman has decided he knows what's coming his way and he's starting to reactivate things, part of his world that he hasn't used because there was no need for him. It was important for Snyder, for audience to see sort of a legacy between um, sort of this legacy vehicle and kind of see a bit of a design connection between the Flying Fox and the Batmobile uh, in terms of the legacy of his father's designs carrying over into the Bat designs. Uh, it's a very deep cut. I think that there was probably a line or two cut in order to give us that info because I don't think we have any clues whatsoever about that in the final film on that, but I think that's very interesting. Uh, the Flying Fox name you could say comes from the name of like a nickname for bats is flying fox but there is uh there are two actually comic book superheroes named the flying fox in dc comics uh the first one appeared in young all-stars number one in 1987 created by roy thomas dan thomas and michael bear however that is not the flying fox that i think is the most relevant i think the vehicle is may have been deliberately named off of an earlier version of the flying fox superhero that flying fox's secret identity was bruce wayne what now i mentioned this in our batman training timeline episode but the flying fox was a persona that young bruce wayne took on when he was visiting smallville and working with superboy it was one of his original personas before taking on the role of batman as revealed in issue adventure comics 275 back in 1960 so this is very interesting in deep divey where i don't know if snyder realizes this but he this vehicle that batman is trying to get off the ground inspired by superman is named after the persona that bruce wayne took on when he first met superman in smallville back in 1960. did he also have that oh, did he also Flying become Fox, the sugar glider at some point like the, the little what is a little mamma with the giant eyes <laughs> what you know, Batman. I don't know how many different personas he oh, had. I know what you're talking but, about. I don't know what they're... Is it a sugar glider? Uh, it was the... He was he was uh, workshopping it until he arrived at Batman. <laughs> <laughs> the little 
The flying oh, squirrel. The that shit I was uh, afraid of when I was a kid. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if... <laughs> I don't know how many iterations he needed in order to get to there, but the flying fox was one of them. Funny enough, it is a orange suit <laughs> in, the, in that comic, uh, but it is kind of interesting and a very deep dive into it's that. It's strange. So I They're it not was... afraid of it. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Maybe I should change the name or the color. Oh, there's something uh, weird. But I, yeah. I'll have to go back to the old drawing board. <laughs> So that is uh, why it's called The Flying Fox, and I thought that would be the last fact that we uh, cover here. But uh, yeah, to recap, Batfleck has had many milestones, has a very well-thought-out backstory that we just did not get uh, into the movies. Uh, but he has the most comic-accurate Batsuit, the closest physical physically to the character, has been Batman for longer than any other iteration in live action uh, for over 20 years, with the exception of possibly Michael Keaton's when we get to The Flash, because we don't know how long he's been in that role. Um, and he's fought everyone from Joker to Darkseid. So, that is Batfleck for you. Any last parting thoughts now that we have dived completely into the world of the Ben Affleck Batman? I mean, he's still really, really awesome. I just, like I said, I, I have come around to him a lot more uh, mm -hmm. since we've been talking about Batman versus Superman and since yeah. the Snyder Cut of the Justice League and... I remember I, I'm kind of going back to that point when I was super excited about him uh, playing Batman after actually seeing him in the costume. Um, mm -hmm. Not the sad Batman like reveal photo where it was black and white. That one I was still kind of iffy, but I think it was like some of those like real clear photos, like it was the cover for uh, Entertainment Magazine or something. It was the same mm -hmm. image they used for the posters, and I was like, man, he yeah. looks really good. I, I think the the comic book accuracy and his physique and everything was just something that was really uh, unexpected and I hadn't seen before in live action. So, yeah, he's really become a, a very well-rounded Batman. I would definitely like to see him get his own movie mm -hmm. and kind of see uh, just more of a focus on him because those those parts of Batman versus Superman when he is, you know, uh, hiding up in the rafters and... Yeah. And everything like that. That was really cool. That was like what I was hoping for a Batman movie. So, you know, we'll see what happens now. We do need, uh, I think, speaking of that, uh, we've had him like kick major ass best. Batfleck has obviously the best fight scene out of any Batman. The warehouse fight scene. Everybody knows that. Said it a million times. Um, and he's hiding a little bit like in that scene you're talking about. But we need like what Nolan did really well in Batman Begins where he's like, where are you? right here you know what i mean yeah that fucking like <laughs> cool sneaky shit that ninja shit i think we haven't really seen that with batfleck and i'd like to think that we'll probably if if the let's say when when they make the deathstroke batman movie uh that'll be one thing that death that strokey is not that good at not as good as batman like he's good he's maybe better with swords and guns obviously but not as good as sneaking around. Not as good with the smoke bombs. Not as good with the deflection. Uh, no, he was trained in the League of Assassins. Now we oh, know. Yeah, that is true. But so even nice. so, I like to think even he was still a better student of those techniques. That skill tree, if it was a video game, you know what I mean. Um, so maybe we could see a little bit more of that. But uh, I mean, I never hated Batfleck. I was never, never a hater at all. Um, never had a problem with him. Um, you know, I didn't really understand all the hate that he got, and I'm glad that it's 
seemingly over for the most part now. Um, you know, Justice League wasn't that good. Uh, but again, as we all know, wasn't his fault. And BVS, a lot of it was, well, probably none of it was Batflex's fault either. Um, and we have the best on-screen Batsuit probably ever. Um, most fun, most comic booky. Uh, thanks, Snyder. <laughs> and Citrone for those fight scenes, Richard Citrone. And every all the other stuntmen, of course, involved. Yeah. Stuntmen and women. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. I would say the closest we got to stealth Batfleck is in that footage of the LexCorp tap when uh, Jesse Eisenberg returns to LexCorp and he sees the security footage where Batman just comes down and p- catches a guy. So that's probably the closest that we got on that yeah. outside of him just dodging all the shotgun blasts from that cop early in the movie. Uh, again, like I just really appreciate the amount of thought that was put into this backstory and uh, it's I do sort of wish retroactively that we had seen a bunch of Ben Affleck Batman movies before BVS so we could actually see all of this and feel more of that emotional connection of where his headspace was at rather than, you know, the difficulty as we talked about in BVS of trying to introduce Batman while also saying that he's out of character at the same time. Uh, I think it just would have had a lot more emotional impact if we had seen his adventures beforehand and then uh, gotten to BVS and, and saw the significance of the the entire character journey not just the stuff that we have been lucky enough to see so stay tuned as we cover the batman versus deathstroke movie uh that'll happen in a few months or a month or two depends on how many more interviews joe manganello has <laughs> please but, somebody book him we need to have him on the show i think if we yes. can, we need to join his D game joe <laughs> tell us about the entire script please just break it down for us well let me tell you <laughs> but until then That is superhero stuff you should know. We have a few comments from fans. One of them I'm actually going to pull from Facebook, from our Facebook group. And that is from from Sean. Sean says, quote, fellas, just got through listening to this one. This is our Justice League part four. It says, Silas Stone marking the box. This is us talking about, like, why did Silas Stone have to be in the, uh, the glass case? Uh, he says, if you watch it, it's all in slow motion. He goes to run out before hitting the button and sees if he leaves the room, Steppenwolf is going to tear him apart or torture him to find out what he did to it. So he chooses to stay. Love the show. Couldn't stay quiet when I heard this, though. Can't wait for the last one. So that explains why Silas is there. That's a good corrections department. So uh, if you look back in the movie, he's setting it up. And then when he's about to run out, then Steppenwolf bursts in. And so he just decides to do it then and there. So he makes that decision to sacrifice himself. He didn't make that decision before Steppenwolf showed up. So that's cool. Uh, next one is from YouTube, EBSuno92. says, quote, I've discovered your channel by complete accident, and I must say that you are a gold mine of quality content. Keep up the awesome job. So you, sir, are a man of fine taste. Yes, indeed. <laughs> you sound like you eat vichyssoise. <laughs> Uh, let's see next one is from David Carter on our Dark Knight series so we were talking about how uh, there's a photo image of Heath Ledger seeming like he's skateboarding above Christian Bale's Batman and I brought up that that's a photoshop he's just literally just jumping up (laughs) and somebody put a skateboard there it's a photoshop yes (laughs) however David says as far as the skateboarding while that photo of Joker flipping a board over Batman is fake you can find some hidden footage some of it on the news I think of Heath in his makeup and some of his costume riding a skateboard down the street. And I believe I did remember seeing this back in uh, 2007 or 2008 or so. Interesting. Uh, so that is uh, definitely true. So wow. thank you, David. 
for that audition. There is um there's some photos that I cannot find anymore. This was like early when the Dark Knight was filming, and it was some of the earliest images of Joker, and uh, it was from the scene where he was dressed as a cop. Mm. And oh, he's he's actually one of the honor guard yeah. in that scene where uh, you know he tries to shoot the mayor and shoots Jim Gordon. And I remember seeing they were really far away, but it was these photos of him, and it looked like his hair was short and brown, and he was dressed as a policeman. And I was like, whoa, what is going on? And uh, I could not for the life of me find those anymore. But it was one of those early like photos, like, uh, you know, I guess early internet rumors flying around. And I totally forgot about it by the time I watched The Dark Knight, so it actually was a legitimate surprise when he was uh, in disguise at that point. But... I real that just made me think about that seeing those early photos from the from the sets. That was quite a time. I remember that just people putting out leaked photos and stuff and trying to piece together what was going to happen. There was going to be like some people saw footage or set photos of the bank heist and saw that Heath wasn't wearing the makeup underneath and it was like maybe he's at the bank heist and then Batman shows up and throws a batarang and the batarang gives him the scar. And obviously none of that was true. Or, <laughs> yeah, one of them was like the clown mask melts to his face <laughs> and that makes it permanent. Oh I remember God. reading this stuff. It was all wow. kinds of shit. Yeah. 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 It was all people trying to figure out what was going on and obviously they were all wrong, which is yeah. great, honestly. That's what I love the most, when you're wrong about stuff and then it you get to be surprised. Transcendental experiencing as Joker, man. I was just like... Mm-hmm. The whole time, I was just like, oh, it's just the best thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. <laughs> it was just so good. And, uh, yeah, with David's comment, that is the end of the comment section. So oh, shit. Here. Only two this time around, man? All right. Three. Oh, three. Oh, yeah. They were, they were all great ones. Thank you, everybody, for commenting. Yeah. And also, thank you to our Patreon supporters. Hopefully, I got the full list this time around. Again, apologies on the last time. Shasta, Leom O, Super Inframan, Douglas P, Dan D, Aaron Willett, Nick Noah, Asgers Webb, Jeffrey R, Eric J, Sketchcraft, Scott V, Eric J, Yuli, and our other supporters. Did I get them all, Ben, before I head on? I think so, yeah. I think we got them, right? Okay. Yep. All right, Sparkageddon, SDCT Productions, Robert Schumann, Kooky Noms, Matt Herring, Elijah B., Shamrock Balls, Ian H., Walter the Wobot, John Wells, and Rye Guy. <coughs> so, please uh, join the Shasta Army if you haven't already. That is the $1 tier. It gets you the shout-out. But uh, the best tier that we got, I think, well, they're all great, of course, but the $5 tier is where the rubber beats the moat. <laughs> Where's the bat nipples? Get on the bat seat. <laughs> 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 where the rubber meets the, nipples. the rubber meets the nipples. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's, it's a whole other uh, show. Uh, I receive bat tutelage twice a week, actually, and you can too with us, um, with yep. me, um, <clears throat> generally from Ben. Uh, sometimes I lead the episode, um, but uh, yeah, that is uh, Patreon.com/slash/SuperheroStuffPod. Uh, Five dollars a month, cancel anytime, and there's tiers more than that too. Uh, but those are the ones we really like to highlight at this time. More coming. Um, and uh, Superhouse merch. Get your Ben Man mug. Get your Indeed Wizard shirt or whatever. Um, shower curtain if you want. It's all there. Um, art by Wolfie Cruz. Uh, superhousepod.redbubble.com. Uh, also, tpublic.com slash user slash superhousepodcast5000. And super, superherostuffpod.threadless.com. All have around the same thing so whichever store you want whichever you prefer 
it's there. It's also on our Patreon store as part of some of our tiers. So um, let us know about that. Uh, please check out those things, those places. Uh, please leave us a review on iTunes. Um, sounds like bullshit, but it does help our visibility in the iTunes store. Um, so that would be great. Also, uh, phone bumper. Uh, bumper is an audio clip. Uh, if you want to record us a little funny something or other uh, on your phone, audio or video, whatever. Um, yeah, if you want it to be video and be on the YouTube part, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, send that clip to uh, superhousepodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to animate our sketches, we invite you to do so. But please just put the hashtag superhero stuff you should know on the bottom corner of the video itself um, if you do that. And, of course, please let us know if you do it. Um, and we would like to put that on our TikTok or uh, all of our social media shit. But I think that it would live, that kind of thing would live pretty well on TikTok. So uh, if you do, let us know if you got the gumption. And uh, if you got the gusto, let us know in the comments. Uh, I'm Thunderwolf Drew on Instagram and Twitter. Also, all of my other shit that I talk about, Japan, anime, Japanese culture, even Japanese religion and history and shit, it's uh, on YouTube. Uh, search Thunderwolf Lives on there. I'm there, thunderwolflives.com. And uh, that's, I think, it, uh, Ben. You can follow us on Twitter at SuperHousePod, as well as on Instagram at SuperHeroStuffPod, which is how we met Zach. Uh, my personal Instagram is Ben Juan Writer, and you can check out my website at benwanwriter.com. My YouTube channel is in the description below, as well as the link to earlebird.com, which links to the kids comic that uh, I've written that's coming out. Uh, also, you can follow my cat's Instagram at Alfie Pennyworth Cat, which brings us to another thing. We are now affiliates with Woo! Whiskerbox. Please. Spoil your cat with Whiskerbox and <laughs> all types of stuff. We have many affiliates right now. Uh, Andrew, feel free to, to chime in yeah. on uh, others that I might be missing. But uh, if you want to buy some Batman memorabilia, we have some affiliates on eBay. If you want to get some Amazon merchandise, such as this Nightmare Batman Funko that I'm holding up to the screen on here, you can get that through the Amazon affiliate. And uh, that will not only help your collection, but also help us out a little bit. Yeah, so um, if you're interested in, in doing that, uh, go to superhousepod.com slash shop, and all the links are there, mm-hmm. and we'll be adding more as time goes along. But yeah, the Whisker Box one is there. There's an eBay one that takes you right to Batman movie memorabilia, and of course all the um, Amazon stuff, and we're going to try to highlight an item uh, for every episode, like we did with the Nightmare one now, Nightmare Funko yep. Pop. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's going to be kind of a new thing. So, yeah, it's our affiliate stuff, man. It's here. Yep. It's real. Awesome. <laughs> Over to Zach. Well, this is not part of the affiletes, but <laughs> if you like <laughs> Batfleck, you'll love Batman and Robin. 1997, fresh. <laughs> new continuity, um, Batman and Robin takes place in between the 18-month period of the opening of Batman That's right, Superman. yes. Yeah. That is the same Batman, believe it or Clooney not. He says this is why Superman works alone. He's referring to Henry Cavill's <laughs> Superman. He just didn't know it back in 97. You know the last major release on VHS, by the way? Quick uh, quick trivia. Oh, shit. I knew what it was. I say 1999. Um, oh, no. It was like 2000? 2005? Yeah. 2005. Uh, I could tell you right now. 
What is it? What is it's, it? Uh, I believe it was History of Violence. V Viggo Mortensen. Yep. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Nice. Shower, bathroom, oh, and... naked fight scene. <laughs> no, no, that's uh, Eastern <laughs> Promises. Oh, yeah, that's the other one. Never mind. But that yeah. movie was the last VHS, though. Gotcha. Nice. Yeah. Well, other than the VHS thing, uh, <laughs> I was laughing really hard because of uh, Andrew's comment about... Um, <laughs> The more, where the rubber meets the road, and I was imagining George Clooney's like Batman skidding on his stomach, where the nipples were sparking and stuff. So that's that's why I was laughing so hard when you were talking when you were talking about that. I think I have extra. But anyways, here. that's right. <laughs> about me, um, you can follow me on Instagram, TikTok, uh, and my website, uh, Zachary Jackson Brown Art. And my website is ZacharyJacksonBrownArt.com and YouTube as well is Zachary Jackson Brown Art. Um, all the same name. You can find me there and see more of my shit. And uh, my shit's even on the thumbnail for this episode. So, uh, very exciting stuff. He's so talented. Yes, he is. Just so my head's talented. swelling. <laughs> the earphones are getting tighter. <laughs> So for those of our uh, Patreon users, you will be get some of the stuff that did not make into the episode, specifically the rogues gallery of Ben Affleck's Batman in terms of who he's fought. So stay tuned for that. If you're not already part of our $5 tier, then what the hell are you doing? <laughs> get on it. <laughs> <laughs> Tell all your friends about it. I'm excited it. about that one. Yes. So check that out and uh, join us next time. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs>